again here we are <laughs> please we're here, here That's we how I, are. If, if you guys edit that mess out that you just did i'll be really mad i want no. that in. <laughs> <laughs> i love how we're like 30 episodes in and i'm confused well <laughs> dude that's that's part of the charm around here man like what what mood is pedro in and how confused is andy is a question that everyone needs to ask at the beginning oh. of every episode okay i got two questions right off the top shoot number one what's in that basket up there in your like cabinet <laughs> cake decorating supplies all right yes. <laughs> would you have ever guessed that no no that's why i was curious okay, oh, there's a cool. shitload of sprinkles in there. hey keanu just moved when i said cake Hey, hey. <laughs> he's gonna sleep through this your whole dog, episode, your dog That's sprinkles. Your yeah dog. he's out man he's he had a he's out anyway um and then this little thing behind you is it a cactus the pinata what is it yeah it's uh, my my daughter made it it's a i don't know a turtle, <laughs> a turtle. i thought it was a cactus but whatever it is it's, it's beautiful you know, it's it's beautiful, and she, I'm, it looks like she put in a lot of hard work. But it is a pinata, right? Am I crazy? It was, yeah. She, it I was, think yeah. she bashed it open. <laughs> Kids are the best. I just want to make a thing to destroy. Hey, pinata! <laughs> make perfect. We, we've had many pinatas in our family uh, birthday pinata. party celebrations. Yeah, like it's it's my wife is a art former art teacher, so we make nice. a lot of stuff here. That's really cool. You know, my mom passed away a couple of years ago, but when I was a kid, we didn't have any money. Um, and like in Latino households, pinatas are a big deal, particularly Cuban households and Mexican, of course. But like Cuban, Cuban birthday parties for children involve pinatas. That's minimum requirement. And so we couldn't really afford these things. So my mom learned how to make pinatas. And she made these elaborate pinatas that were so cool that wow. people would come to my sister and I's birthday parties because we would consolidate our birthday parties because our birthdays are really close to each other. And then they would like buy, like order pinatas from my mom. And for a few years, she was like in the pinata making business at the That's house. Awesome. It was really cool. It's really well, cool. My wife, as I said, uh, taught art. So we make pinatas here because, you know, it's, it's, it's art, you know, it's making art. And what we do, or what she does, we, she does, is she makes them with pull strings so you don't have to bash it and 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 mess it up. That's how my mom made them. Yeah, and you pull like so everybody pulls at the same time. It comes out the bottom. They get candy, and now my daughter has a rocket ship one that's in her room. That that's you know. I think a rocket ship. That's cool. I think pinata is an interesting. I don't know what the word is like metaphor for data privacy, right? Because one of the things my mom used to do is like you know you load it with candy, obviously, but on the pull ones. There's like a weight capacity for that cardboard paper or whatever it is. Construct. I forget what you made it out of. Like mm -hmm. the strings are there, but if you put too much candy and it's just gonna break and all the shit's gonna come out. I feel like we have to have a whole episode about data privacy and like the candy can represent data 
and just how much goes in there before it all blows. And then the strings can be hackers. Like we can, we can do a whole thing. Like Who's bashing it with a stick? Is that, uh, is that, <laughs> is that Shrems? No, he's, I guess he's the opposite. He's, no, he's probably the, the security layer. Exactly, exactly. I think the, the world would say the people bashing it with the stick are Russian hackers, uh, you know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, you know, <laughs> like, I think that's what people would argue. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, shout out to Pinatas. Yeah, this is a, a, a great episode uh, with Shoshana Rosenberg. She's the best. Uh, she's um, founded her own company called Safe Border. Um, been doing privacy for a long time um, and has really cool thoughts on it. Yeah, she's smart and, and, and everybody who joins is smart. But what I think she's very serious about privacy. And I don't mean serious as in boring. I mean, she's very intentional about how she think how she goes about her work and and i find that very um very comforting because she has strong points of view but they're thorough thoughtful and um and well considered um i'm really excited to hear from her on some of the wacky shit we do i mean i think her approach is the opposite of mine like where mine is sort of like sensational and like full of like hyperbole she's very settled uh, like kind of methodical and thoughtful about issues and, and I appreciate that about her very much. Here's one thing that you have in common though, which is when you zoom out, you both are able to zoom out and up and look down and say, okay, well, like uh, we're either doing well at this concept from a high level or we're not doing as well at this concept from a high level. And then if we start up here, how do we go down and down and down and like get actionable? Um, mm -hmm. She can She can zoom out like that, which I think is, Honestly, it's one of the big things that that makes people, you know, I think, uh, good leaders. Yeah, no, she's top notch, man. I'm excited to talk to her. Yeah. All right, bro. Here it is. <laughs> Keanu, here it is. Wait, Keanu's just off. Hey, but come on, come on. He's opted out from life. Look at him. He doesn't before, care. Before we before the we actually go to the episode, just quickly, Keanu was named after Point Break. Character? Yes. Point okay. Break Keanu. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Shout out to that movie. Yeah. Shout out to Point Break, man. If you want a, a one and a half hour summary and all the world's wisdom, just watch that movie. You know. Yeah, like when he asks for two hot dogs or two sandwiches. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Two, I think it was two meatball sandwiches. Two meatball sandwiches. <laughs> give me two. All right. On that note, give me two. <laughs> what a movie. All right. See you, buddy. Later, man. All right, it didn't. Did it. Here we are. We're here. Yeah. Finally, it didn't technical make me, difficulties. It didn't make me uh, push accept to the record. That's it made weird. me do it. I saw it. Oh, so, you're the driver. Oh, right. I am on this. Very good get, driver. Get your shit together, Eddie. Is right. what, that thing in your kitchen? Is that like a kettle? Right. Like what? Is uh, that? It's art. It's a it's pinata. You guys, so well, behind me is a is a pinata that my kids made. But are okay, I see the pinata, but that, I'm talking about that blue, that light. Okay, all right, that is an air fryer. Oh, <laughs> let me tell you, we're gonna go off topic for a moment. Oh yeah, I we haven't even gotten off topic. Who cares? I adore <laughs> adore air fryers. Ah, oh, nice. Got it for Christmas last year. What's um, the signature dish in the Dale household with the air fryer? What's what's the go-to? A uh, couple things. 
Um, one that I share with my wife when we watch The Bachelor. I don't know if I've put out on this podcast how big of a fan of The Bachelor I am, but oh, God. it's out there now. Uh, <laughs> when we watch The Bachelor, sometimes uh, we will put fries into the air fryer, air fryer and have air fried fries while we're watching The Bachelor, which is great. But also like wings. If you like wings and you don't want to deep have them fried, like deep fried, it's magic. All you keto people out there, ears up. Delicious. <laughs> ears up. You know what's funny? Uh, well, I don't know if it's funny. I've only seen like The Bachelor, I'd say four or five times in my whole life. And it's always by chance. It's always like, oh, I'm at my friend's house and they're obsessed with it or whatever. This happened to be somewhere where it's on and I'll sit through it very painfully and watch it. And maybe I'm wrong. And I have no idea if, how many seasons of The Bachelor there are or whatever. But in my exposure to The Bachelor, you would just assume that Latinos do not exist. I just don't see them on the show. I've never seen a Latin person on the show. Am I wrong, They, they, they are smart enough to avoid it. Well, and Say I haven't it? ever watched it, but your sampling size does seem low, as I think it's been running for three decades. No, I don't know how long it's been running. 50 years? I think, I think they're coming up on 20 years. I mean, it's a lot. Has there time. ever been a Latino bachelor or bachelorette? Yes. Okay, then I but, take it back. But... But let's just pause. Like your point is valid. It's okay. not an ever present. Like they have many, many race challenges on that show. Okay, I have some of my suspicions. There, there were. I mean, the host of the show just got fired for making oh, insensitive comments and kind of doubling down on them. Like not walking them back at all. I also heard he got like a. $40 million payout to leave or something ridiculous. So like, yeah, fire me that way. I yeah. suddenly feel woefully underqualified for this. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I am just like being like a total like seagull landing on the bachelor shitting and leaving. But like, um, like it might be a great show and I just don't get it. But like my exposure to it was like, ah, this ain't for me. <laughs> it won't take us any closer to where we're trying to go. But I was recently enjoying with someone the notion that we don't necessarily have to all watch TV at the same time or together anymore. And I what a privilege that. that is to say like, hey, I, I really care about you. And I'm so glad that you enjoy that thing that you enjoy. But let's enjoy things separately and then reconvene. What do you um, watch? What, what do you watch, Shoshana? Oh my gosh, I'm a crazy dork. Uh, I really like <laughs> the magicians. I loved the magicians. I worked Magician. as, it, as it was. And then Ted Lasso was great. Um, the amazing thing on Netflix with Natasha and the time loop. I can't remember the name mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, so many of, there. I feel like there's so much good TV now compared to when we grew For up. Sure. For oh my sure. gosh. For and even sure. the ads, right? Remember the ads used to look, at least to look like this great art behind me, but like just things throwing at you. And now you sort of, just, you're apt to take certain things in. So yeah, it's a my different kids are, My kids are thrown off by ads. They, 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 like the other day I was working in the kitchen here and my daughter was watching something and she was like, dad, like it's broken. And I was like, no, that's a commercial, honey. Like you just, you have to watch this. Well, I taught, I taught my daughters to say, it doesn't sound like anything to me, or it doesn't look like anything to me when they see an ad on TV. I've convinced them that ads are just a way to take money out of your pocket and that they're trying to, trying to get something from you. And so that when you, you hear that, like that they're very comfortable on the radio or on the TV, they say, oh, mom, that doesn't look like anything to me, which is, you know, of course, a Westworld joke. So I've 
Just yeah. imagine if all those ads were personalized and then they were relevant. Um, anyway. But then you'd be, so, you'd be so enthralled that you wouldn't comment out loud about it. Exactly. We like, so on that, on that end, like moving us closer to where we'd like to talk. Oh, but wait, 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 before I got to take us a little bit further yeah. first. No, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, perfect. Three years ago, I started a, chat, a WhatsApp chat group and I called it Bucks in Six. And people have been calling me crazy for three years. And last night, the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA Finals in six games. Shout out to Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is an amazing, good, awesome kid for winning. He, he's, he and I have pretty interestingly similar stories other than he's an amazing athlete and talent and I'm just a worthless goon who lives in Atlanta. But like born in Europe, refugee, the whole deal, comes to America, makes a life out of himself, very humble and has been you know, is obviously very successful now. Good for him. My, I have 30 recess lights around my house. They're all green today. Shout out to the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm a big Milwaukee Bucks fan. Okay. Now we can get to private. Let's just say for the UK too, it's a big year for, for miraculously good things happening in sports. That is also true. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And hopefully, hopefully the Olympics kick off safely this weekend. And we've got interesting stuff to avoid talking about privacy, uh, uh, on our next recording. Sorry, Andy. Okay. Let's start weaving our way back. Let's weave like our a, way back. A few minutes in, we haven't even really introduced our guest at all. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, she needs right. no introduction. She needs no introduction. She founded a company called Safe Border. And also, you work at another company. Can you, like, I, I, you've done so many things at that company. Can you break it down for us? Because I, I can't, uh, but sure. a lot so, of things there. I have been in a really, I've had some incredible mentors and I've been given a lot of, um, a lot of room to help grow programs in the company. So starting at the company prior to it, that it, uh, a large global company called Parsons Brinkerhoff, I began the privacy program. I built out their global privacy program. Um, and I, I had us signed up in accordance with the act and the erstwhile um, safe harbor, right? And, uh, and, and really pulled us through that and got to build out the entirety of that program while also doing a whole lot of other work on international investigations and some M&A adjunct stuff. So I got to wear a lot of hats. And then when we were acquired by the company that's uh, WSP in 2014, I began their global privacy program, dissolved our harbor aspect and went ahead and built out not only the global privacy program, but since then also data strategy program for the US um, that's leveraged in part by global and also a number of other pieces, right? The IP program, our innovation, pieces of our innovation program, certainly here in the US. So I've gotten to build things from the ground up with this exceptional company and, and just really a, a very high caliber of engaged C-suite representatives. It's, it's been an amazing journey and I, um, I really love digging in to help us tackle what's new. And that also includes sort of one thing that I think that we don't think about enough in privacy necessarily, especially in M&A considerations is uh, DevOps teams, right? And the, the knowledge that sits with them, the sort of ecosystem that they bring with them when you are an acquisition firm or a firm that engages enough in acquisitions that someone from the outside might see you as such. Uh, there, there's a lot to be managed and considered there that I think um, has to be part of the privacy considerations. And a growing, like a massively growing uh, requirement and responsibility when you're on the acquirer side. Absolutely. Sure. We've talked 
a lot about diligence and what, how that's changed, excuse me, over time. And uh, that's a huge responsibility. I think what's interesting, one of the things you mentioned that's interesting is data strategy. Mm-hmm. And having worked at MasterCard briefly, they have what I would view as a model, a model of that function. Like they created that function. It dovetails with data ethics. They, they have them in this under the same, their former chief privacy officer there now runs the data strategy and data ethics portion. And so when my company was purchased by MasterCard, there was additional diligence. So privacy diligence, more pro, like privacy product focused diligence and then like data strategy and ethical diligence too. I found that to be super um, interesting and like cool that they they do that. The data strategy framework becomes something that everything folds into, right? Your privacy considerations, your security considerations, and then also where you intend to head from a business intelligence standpoint. And for companies that aren't looking at it that way yet, it is a wonderful framework to start to build out in terms of either your goals and aspirations or uh, a combination of your compliance and those. Uh, I think it's it's really critical because then you have guidelines. And if you need to adapt them, if you need to shift because your focus shifts, that's fine. But I always think it's very important to know what you want and where you're compromising because without it, you're sort of free floating as we all know. Pedro, how do you view that? Like, do you view data strategy in a, now you're in a policy role, do you view that as a policy issue or do you view it as like one level higher with policy implications? You know, I know companies you've, you've worked at obviously have data strategy either formally or informally, you know, throughout the, the product development. Um, look, I think policy is a consideration, obviously, yeah. right? Like, um, and so is legal compliance. But I think the most important thing driving like data governance is user protection. I mean, I think it's just that simple. Um, you know, protecting people and protecting uh, data assets is what should be the main driver, not just complying with rules or like policy objectives. Um, now, you know, your strategy can be informed by those objectives and by compliance requirements um, and vice versa. Like, I, I think like, what you learn as you implement like a data protection program uh, can inform how you approach your policy advocacy work, right? So I think they're complementary, but I don't think like one necessarily, excuse me, I don't think like the policy considerations or even the legal ones should be like the principal drivers in how you design a, a data governance program. They're important factors. Um, but protecting the users and the data, I think, should be. Yeah. So what's interesting, though, is I feel like with, within a larger organization that isn't necessarily client-facing, but perhaps, and you would know better, both of you, um, where they are client, sort of customer-facing, I should say, uh, the distinction between data governance and data strategy, strategy. is very real, right? Because one is, of course, um, sort of the... One is the tip of the iceberg, which is the data strategy, and the other is the actual iceberg, which is the implementation, the auditing, all of these pieces um, around the policy side. I do think data strategy in terms of, first, of course, we've all had to inform our organizations and each other and the world about the importance and the protection that needs to go into handling certain kinds of data, all kinds of data, really, right, discerning and, and handling but the next piece is really an awareness of the value of that data and the 
constraints that you wish to place around it in that context, I guess is, is the difference that I see. Because the data governance is, of course, it's always a, a, that's the program that you build that is the framework that supports both the policies and, and implements them and also the intent. But that intent, that data strategy intent of actually socializing an organization and its staff to understand why they should flag new types of data, not just personal data, right? But that might be of use to give them part of the big picture understanding of what business intelligence is, can be, should never be. I'm young. Was, I'm young. I think it's interesting how all these. Yeah. So I was going to say, I think it's interesting how like things spawn each other, right? Like, um, I guess I, I'm, I'm more thinking of them as one and the same. I'm not saying I'm right, but like, and you just explained very clearly how they really aren't. Right, which I think is is important um, to acknowledge for like a couple reasons. One, I feel like this all sounds really expensive, so I'm really interested in how like small companies do it. Um, um, and then two, uh, how do you harmonize them if you think if you think of data governance and strategy as kind of complementary, similar things? Right. So I guess the first question is, this sounds really expensive. Uh, not, not data strategy itself, not data governance itself, but the whole package, right? Like it just seems like it's very costly. How does how do we deal with that? And then once we figure out how to pay for it, like how do we harmonize it? Interested in your thoughts. So do you want to go first, Andy? I don't want to cut you off there because I certainly uh, have thought. Uh, cut Andy off. I'll make didn't. one. I'll make one quick point. That is, I think it all rolls up to culture. So like, if you set the privacy culture at a small company then everything flows off that and you create internal privacy champions. And then it's easier to do those things. It's still costly. And for a small company, it's a relative cost you know, to what you're spending on other things. But you know, we have a privacy champion, the head of data science at our company. And he, he has taken to saying privacy is a feature. And he did that on his own. That wasn't, that wasn't anything I told him to say. But I think once you start at that level, the, the highest possible level, We've got a culture of respect, of uh, data, data, strategic data use, pro, you know, data use in the in the product. Uh, it, the things flow more easily off that. It's not super easy, but um, that's where I start. And I want to hear. Can I, can I respond to that with a inquiry, really quickly? So privacy is the feature, right? There's another really famous company uh, that sort of takes that approach, like but they charge a lot for their products, a lot, a lot more than everyone else. And so I, there might, I'm interested in your thought on like, is there a danger once you start to think of privacy as a functionality, a feature, a market differentiator, does that affect price? And if so, is that okay? Easier for me to say in B2B than B2C, right? With the, I, I believe the company you're referring to is B2C, Right where where a consumer is impacted by that, and they're selling very expensive products, um, so a little bit easier in B two B because it is more expensive. It just it is, um, and so we have the luxury of saying that privacy is a feature. And I but I you know I'd be interested in, in Shoshana's experience at a bigger company, you know, kind of dealing with that too. So I can't not take the bait and say that hypothetically a company like that might've had higher prices before simply because of a particular ethos pathos logos they had with their clientele, but I'm just gonna move on because it's just a hypothetical. Um, but the piece that I would answer here 
And that doesn't mean I don't have an actual stance there. I just, I, I suspect that that may be the case. Um, the piece that I would answer here is, is, let me do it in a couple different layers. Having rolled out, I had the position to roll out a privacy training across an entire global organization um, at every level, right? We, so we had, uh, we were set up to do exactly that, which was going to be a very, very big deal for an organization. And it was at a time when most organizations of that size were not doing it. But I had to stop and prioritize the fact that we didn't even have an information classification handling policy. So I built that out myself seven, eight years ago, right? So I had to build out this massive context, even to put privacy in as, as an aspect of what people were understanding, because if they don't understand the data overall, you can't give them a smaller bucket. It doesn't help the company or the individuals not have the context. So then within that, in terms of your question about, is it expensive? So knowing that the overarching understanding of all the business information that you're handling and how it is classified, how it's handled, and what it means to the business, I think, which can be part of data strategy. Right? It doesn't have to be written that way, but it's part of what you're doing. Then the indoctrination into privacy and what personal information, personal data. And then in terms of the expensive aspect, because it is so heavily about culture, I think that smaller organizations not the privacy as a differentiator as a product aspect, but within a company, the extent to which I fully agree with Andy that data strategy is something you build into your culture. In short, there are a lot of people who understand the value of business data, the value of personal information, when you contextualize it for your organization and the people who work for you in terms of how you view it as a company and what they might want to flag or how they should look at the potential yield for the business. Um, of certain data or the potential pitfalls and, and concerns, you start to have the momentum of people who both have a bigger understanding of the business strategy overall, uh, the data that they're handling, the way that they're going to flag or work with it. So I don't think that has to be terribly expensive. When you push it to the government governance side, there's an echo. Um, when you push it to the governance side, uh, what you do find is that especially as you're dealing with a larger organization, you need a lot of security aspects in place and file analysis and things like that that do tend to get very, very expensive. And the only way I think for a smaller organization to tackle that is to be very careful with their partnerships, their where they're storing their information and the controls that they can afford to purchase that are built into those. That would be my, my way to buy, way to buy Sticking with the cost issue, because I, I, I hear what you said about like, companies might've already been at a premium pricing point before this privacy distinguishing market dis differentiation strategy. All that being true and everything you just explained being reasonable and making sense, it is expensive to implement robust privacy controls and programs and strategies and governance. This is true. Um, some companies are investing more than others. And some of the most heavily invested companies are making the case that that makes their products better, which arguably is true. Um, if especially if you're a privacy advocate or privacy uh, activist or champion. Um, in the B2B context to Andy's point, um, there's some luxury that companies have bigger budgets, but like a lot of customers, even in the B2B context are small. 
and right like not every company is throwing around billions of dollars to buy the most privacy protective software that costs the most because it's a platinum package. So I think it actually applies both at the enterprise level and at the consumer facing level. So the problem I worry about quite often is are we headed in a direction where the most robust comprehensive privacy protections are reserved for the wealthiest companies and people? And is that problematic? Well, first Go of all, you have there. to agree that. We're already well, there. I'll be quiet. And is it problematic? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's problematic on a number of vectors. I mean, I think the main one is that 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 just limits the robustness and uh, how how good these things can be, because people, even the bigger companies, are going to work. They're going to work to a bar, and they're going to they're going to that bar, whatever it is for that company. And like, that's the bar they're gonna work to. If that's the GDPR standard, or if that's something else, they're gonna be like, well, how do I get to a place where I'm compliant or I feel, you know, like I'm not gonna get whacked and that's where they're gonna stop or I'm not gonna lose customers, right? I'm gonna stop there. And that's no different than a B2B startup company where you're correct in that, you know, companies that I tend to work for have to invest in these things more than maybe other companies. And so someone like me gets hired earlier um, to help. And I get a, I get headcount approved more easily because it has, it actually has tangible like impact on the product and impact on getting business. And it's not, it's no longer a game of, well, let me avoid a regulatory issue or let me avoid a fine. Like that's not the game anymore. The game is customer acquisition. And if I can't acquire a customer in B2B without some GNA headcount attached to getting compliance programs, and that scales up. The bigger you get, that problem doesn't go away. It just gets bigger. So, but that's the cost of doing business, right? Like that's the shift of the cost. Where, but, and here's my question to you. Is there, for instance, do you think that you need less salespeople because you have more of a, of a certified sort of a stamp of privacy uh, approval or that differentiator. I just wonder if there isn't some balance. I do think it's actually exceptionally expensive for larger organizations to implement, but if it's a cost of doing business from the start and you build to scale, uh, then I think it mocks Nix in the end because the overhaul would be so much more expensive. The, the amount that you would be risking your good name, your goodwill, all of it, uh, and also the extent to which it is, even if everyone heads that direction, it will remain, and I think it is, a differentiator for those people who are attuned to it and certainly for the companies that are. I think it is a differentiator. And one thing I've found that's interesting is that at least in the couple businesses that I've been in recently, I have yet to see outside of, outside of companies actually selling privacy software, I've yet to really see someone legit upsell privacy as, as a thing where they're charging separately for that, because I don't think we're at a point, like we haven't figured out what the, what, what the kind of like, I don't even know the word, like the, the right line is like what's required by compliance and what's extra. So if my audit functionality in my platform allows a customer to see all of the data subject requests they've received on certain dates, like, is that required or can I charge a premium for it? Can I bake it in? Can I say that we have like privacy controls? Can, can, 
I'm not saying Facebook's going to do this, but can a platform that uh, is pushed into a position where they have to provide potentially like a higher level of service for pay, a paid service or not, what can they put in and take out for privacy and security purposes within that context? Like the GDPR creates, creates and other laws create this really uncomfortable scenario for that, those decisions in my view. So Spotify does it. I can think of other providers, right? Where you you can have something be private because you paid more. Otherwise, you're in the free flow. It's um, bullshit. I think it's bullshit, and it and it and it it screws over users. But what I think happens is this, right? Like companies justify subscription costs by it. it like privacy becomes maybe, um, a kind of like. Uh, collateral addition to what they're actually charging you for, right? This is the, the schema, right? It's like, we're going to turn off ads and you're going to be able to listen to music uninterrupted. But by definition, then, then I don't have to collect your data to deliver ads to you. What's interesting is, and I don't know about Spotify specifically, but when you go look at some of the privacy policies of the companies that do things like this, and again, I'm not speaking about Spotify, I'm not sure, you find they collect the data anyway and they have other use cases for it. So is your privacy even better off? No. Are you seeing ads based on your privacy? No. Excuse me, based on your data? No. But the data is still being leveraged and monetized in other ways or at least used for whatever back-end purposes the company wants to use it for. Right. And some companies, sorry, Shoshana, I'll shut the hell up. Like, like, oh, no. And some companies even reserve the right to use it for marketing purposes, even though like it's not for direct advertising. Sorry, Shoshana. No, I'm sorry. I was jumping because I got excited. I, I think you're right that the aggregate data there, and I want to be clear, Spotify was they what they do is they allow you a sense of privacy right you're you're that's not public reason. and i wanted to be clear that for the average consumer that's what they're trying to understand they're saying wait a minute so i have more control over what is accessible about me to the rest of the world they are very rarely focused in on what they're actually giving to the company which is a very important distinction and so, so i'm about a differentiator for a customer in the way that most customers to this moment still still deal with it I'm so happy you raised this because I if think we go back, it. well, no, but you made it clear. So <laughs> going back to a hypothetical company that, that charges premium prices um, and is, you know, really aggressive about their privacy messaging, nowhere in there does it say they're limiting their access to data. They're just saying, trust us. And lots of companies, Andy, are you having a fruit for breakfast? Um, and they're just saying, no, no, you got to trust us. You, don't trust anybody else. Trust us because we care. And like, maybe that's true. And maybe the, the, this hypothetical company is the most trustworthy company and they'll prove it. But you're putting all your eggs in one basket there, you know, or maybe all your. If I was speaking strictly from a marketing standpoint. If you're being told, just just let's just shift all hats to marketing. And you say, are you sure that this is where we live? And they say, yes. And you say, you sure nobody else lives here this way? I mean, it's it's both savvy and I think good for the universe. Really? I see your point. But I also think it's very good for the universe. There's nothing about that that isn't so conspicuous as to raise the bar. And so we differ here only because I have no because I consider myself theoretically more impartial on this one, maybe. <laughs> but I just, I think that anyone who's making it a big deal is doing the right thing for privacy overall. If they fall on their face, 
If they fail their customers, shame on them and they will pay for it, right? And maybe it will be irreparable. But if they don't, the, the fact that it's being lifted up, the fact that it's being elevated, that we're even talking about it, right? That's what good marketing does. It gets you talking about it. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think it's an accomplishment. And I think it moves the ball forward for those of us who are in privacy and who are tethered mostly to the need for more awareness and more controls. Come at me. Wait, Come at so me. I agree with what you're saying in the sense of elevating the privacy discussion, even if the execution ultimately isn't there. And I'm not saying it's not, but that that it ultimately, like you said, follow on your face type thing is a good outcome for privacy, yep. uh, for data privacy and for privacy nerds. Um, <laughs> yes. Privacy doesn't exist in a vacuum. And so like, is it a good overall uh, outcome? I think that question is more complicated um, because there are other considerations involved. And when you consolidate essentially all of your trust in one organization around your data. Um, well, anyway. let's talk about this that. An, yeah, Hold this, on. This, no, let's, but let's talk about that briefly, right? We as people, as humans, even as organizations, right? You don't want 2000 different vendors and partners where you can have one, hence the growth of say certain privacy organizations, right? Um, but, but so the notion that consumers will tend to want to just get into the car with one driver and say, you know what, I'm just gonna trust you here and hopefully hold you accountable. There are a couple of big drivers in the space uh, where people have said, you know what, I'm just going to give you all my photos, all my information. I trust you implicitly because it's a very human thing to do when they have so much information overload and they don't consider themselves, regardless of the plain language, um, they don't consider some, themselves either qualified or terribly interested in discerning. They just go as a consumer, right? Oh, there's a lot of value being provided also. Huh. I agree. I agree. I have a separate question. Uh, we have a couple minutes left here. What, how did, what is up with Keanu behind you, Pedro? So he's, he he's is had a cast out. He's had a cold, and so he's you had have a dog name Keanu. Yeah, Keanu. Hey, buddy. I'm sorry. I have to ask. How old is he? He just turned two years old. Hey, bud. How's it going over there? He's so, Shoshana, out. that's that. His dog is Keanu. Is Point Break Keanu? Not, okay, but not I, Bill I, and Ted's Keanu. Well, no, but I actually didn't know if it was like this new era Keanu that also exists. So I was new era Keanu is the one who I find most engaged, engaging, Action fascinating. Star? You mean post so, speed Keanu? No, I actually, I mean post, post John Matrix. I mean post John Wick Keanu. Oh, I mean, I mean the last few sort of indie film things uh, he's been doing and helping out people in airports in other countries or like very interesting Keanu. So that's a gorgeous dog. Sorry. He's a good guy. He's all, he's usually really active, which is what Andy's asking why we went on a really adventurous walk early this morning. So I think he's just tired. Also, he's had a cold man, which is weird. He's got like the actual sniffles. Um, yeah. So he's a little bit out of it, but listen, man, once I moved this couch into this office, he's like, I've got a lounge now. He's like, he look, he's got his bed, like the people may <laughs> yeah. be listening and can't see this. His bed is below. He's not in the bed. He's taking no. three quarters of your couch. Uh, <laughs> a blue suede couch. I don't know how to be <laughs> clean, but he's living the dream, man. Um, 
Anyway, this sounds like this is a fascinating conversation. And again, I mean, obviously, I'm a little bit biased about like which companies are players. I think you can insert any company into the discussion and and have this, you know, I'd, I'd have the same talking points, which is the point I was making earlier is like, is the outcome overall good? It really does depend on what companies do. Like, for example, well, if you will, but wait, if you nail privacy and you got it and you did it, and then you say, by the way, this costs this much and now all prices go up. That's a problem. I'm not saying anybody has done that, but that is my concern. Outside because of if, you company, look, outside if you look of at a marketplace and a company creates something that nobody else can replicate, prices always go up. And if the prices are already high, it, the uh, possibility to not be inclusive is mm -hmm. really real. Oh, not accusing great. any company of this at all, but that's I see these as possibilities. I want to say this. I want to put a pin in this for later. So we have to come back together on the record, off the record, to talk at some point about DEI and inclusion and the information that companies, including the UK, making demands on the financial regulatory industry are going to be and are currently collecting around DEI because, as you know, that's where I live. And I am fascinated to dig into that with both of you sometime, even just over coffee. So I think we got to do it. And, um, it and it's a very important topic that Andy and I tap often on the on the show on the pod um that's all you know that's my big drive like look like i i've it's weird five years ago i was like privacy crazy right and i've softened not that i think privacy is less important i don't i actually think privacy is more important data privacy is more important than ever it's that not considering it in the context of other interests is dangerous and you're also not the only voice probably in the room, right? In five years, in, in 12, 14 years that I've been, that we've been in this, right? The number of voices in the room has changed. So you, the nuances of what you need to be saying are different, right? The important part is to be showing the part that nobody's looking at. And I think you're doing that. And I think it's really important. Yeah. And I, to your point about the voices, the number of voices changing, also the gender and the location and backgrounds and all other types of characteristics of the voices has changed and is continuing to change and hopefully continues to do so so that more interesting viewpoints are brought in and nuanced ones which i think have been traditionally excluded from like western discussions about data privacy and if we end up in a world where the rich have privacy and everyone else doesn't it's the new imperialism. Like, it just really is. It's just a new form of exploiting uh, people. I'm not a super fan of that outcome. I think we can avoid it. I really do. I really do. We just have to be intentional about what it. Are some, what are some companies that you all think, uh, separate and apart maybe from the discussion about, like, the, the you know, uh, not named consumer-facing company, what are some companies that we think are doing a really good job on privacy issues? And so like almost Pedro to your point and Shoshana, your point maybe about like forward-looking issues like DEI data or forward-looking issues like um, uh, on like being proactive about addressing global differences, you know, in, in, in privacy, um, like mores and thoughts and, you know, feelings about those people that live in those countries. What are there some companies that you all see that are doing a good job or at least like th doing a good job thinking about it? So, so I do know of one called Everest.org where they're doing a good job of, I think they're using blockchain, which I still have my concerns about, but they're doing a really good job of trying to safely and securely bring 
identity to underdeveloped countries and regions where people are having, they're not able to connect with banks and save money. And so it gives them a, a digital identity. And I, I've actually done a lot of research and talked with um, the owners of that company and, and where they've taken it. So I know that that's a good example, but in terms of away from this sort of international development world, I haven't seen that many that actually speak to the question the way you phrased it. Yeah. I'll say I'm going to be a super homer here. Um, I've never Facebook seen it. Facebook has a lot of work to do, but I don't, I've never seen a company invest more in privacy than this company. They've got, a, well, there's a lot of work to be done and we're not leading the way just yet. But I think if we continue to invest at is this that, level, is that what we're doing? But wait, safe, safe gonna, is by design, let me tell you. But, but I, I so, so, so I'm really proud of what we're doing at Facebook. And I think there's no company investing as much and hiring as much talent to get this right in the long term. A lot of work to do. I'll stick with being a homer, a company that's been doing it right and continues to do so, in my point of view, is Salesforce. And they're a B2B company. It's true. And Salesforce leads everything they do, every project all from Mark, and I'm talking about Salesforce, Mark, all the way down to like new employee in the cafe. Trust is our number one value and they live it. Like they live it, that company lives it. It makes hard business decisions that cost a lot of money to live up to that value. And I was really impressed when I was there that they really mean what they say. And they're can, trying to do I the right thing. I can back that up from a side angle. I know all of the alumni that I know who, are, who have worked there agree to that, but I can also say as someone, uh, my husband also deals with Salesforce a lot and I have, and I'm, it's very, very impressive. So I can certainly attest. Yeah, shout out to Lindsay, my old boss, like, you know, because she's been there since the beginning and they, they really do do the work. They do the work. I was going to independently raise Salesforce. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, from as little a thing as their DPA, it's extremely fair. Like, it's just a reasonable and fair and a, and a good model for companies to look at. The other one is Twitter. And so maybe I'm a homer there too, because. What is a homer? Uh, like you're being like, you know, like you're being, uh, you're. Loyal to your bias. You're being biased. Loyal to our peeps because we have a lot of close peeps at Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, because all the ad tech community went to large platforms. So um, half of them work at Facebook now, to your point, Pedro, about hiring talent. And many of them work at Twitter too. But like, I just really respect what they've done in, in terms of uh, hiring great talent, being thoughtful, doing, a, they have the most robust one of the most robust and thoughtful product counseling approaches and teams that I've seen. Those are those lawyers are really smart and and um, their trust and safety. I think I mean I feel like maybe I don't know this for a fact, but their trust and safety program has been around for a while, and they're so thoughtful about trust and safety. And that's obviously a very important collateral group with what we're talking about. Have you guys yeah, got, interviewed them yet? Because that sounds we like had, something people would want to hear about. Yeah, we had Stephanie King, uh, who's did, yeah. who since who since went to uh, a different company, but I think we're probably due for another Twitter guest. We're due for point. a Twitter guest, and look, and we should bring an Apple guest on at some point because I know we're give, we're, we're being playful with Apple earlier, but like Apple's doing some cool shit, man. Like you can't deny it. Like they're doing a lot of hard work, and yeah, maybe there's some motives there that you can critique or whatever. Neither here nor there. To your point, Shoshana, there's real work happening real technology being developed to preserve people's privacy and a, a company going about it differently, but I think also in, 
you know, being willing to experiment and do so very publicly is Google. Like Google is saying, like, you know, we want to we want a free and open Internet and we want our products to be affordable or free. And we're willing to make, you know, to, to investigate any way that we can do that better without having to, like, you know, fundamentally upend, like, what we think is a good business. So and have, I think uh, have Mark cool. have Mark call Sundar and uh, <laughs> and Jack and Mark Benioff, and we'll do like a roundtable. I think we're. I'm on it. I'm on it. I do have to say, I think you've actually painted what I consider to be a very heartening picture, right? Yeah. For people to understand that that at least four of these massive organizations are going above and beyond, um, and I think that that's what. People need to understand and smaller or uh, or even B2B organizations need to be pushed forward by. So I think that's a really good launching place, right? I mean, we've basically acknowledged four of the companies that the universe trusts the most with their data, who are all making strong headways beyond just compliance. And yeah, that's definitely. where we want the world to be. So may you all keep steel sharpening steel, uh, making things better. It's a good place to close. We're all we're bullish on privacy. It's good. Yeah, I think the future's bright, man. Good, Shauna. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so for hanging out. out. Good to talk to you. Uh, enjoy the rest of uh, the rest of summer. Best art non Zoom wallpaper ever. Look at that. Hervey Tulane. Hervey Tulane. So fire! I, every time I see that thing, I'm just like hypnotized by it. It's so pretty. I'm gonna let him know. All right. Yeah. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, everybody.